Welcome to the Faith Christian Fellowship of Montego Bay's podcast. We are reaching for His glory through building and teaching. I hope you are encouraged and edified by this message. Tonight we go into the doctrine of sin. Human history and man's conscience bear witness or bear testimony to sin's reality. Right? Sin is a reality. The scriptures show that sin entered the universe through Satan and then into the human race with the fall of Adam and Eve. So it entered the universe through Satan, then into filtered into the human race through Adam and Eve. The Bible revealed the essence of sin to be self-centeredness and its tragic result to be death. So eventually, sin leads to death. The Bible also reveals God's redemptive plan in Christ to make an end of sin for eternity. So as we get into the doctrine of sin, I can report to you that sin is temporary. Sin, the reign of sin is temporary and we will indeed go into an age where we will not have sin. That's when we exit this life and uh, this mortal put on immortality, this corruption put on incorruption, we will go into a phase of life where there is no sin. And Adam actually enjoyed that kind of life before the fall. So it is not something that has never happened before. Adam experienced life without sin, where sin was not active it was dead adam experienced that before the fall but since the fall sin has been dominant so we want to continue to do our part to ensure that we stay victorious over sin in this life and then the next life will see us in a place where sin is not going to be an issue I want to read a scripture out of Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to read verse 17. And as I said before, sin entered into the human race through Adam and Eve. And we want to just read Genesis 3:17 to speak to that. And unto Adam, he said, or unto the man, according to this version, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, which whose fruit I command you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. So you see right there the impact of sin. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Now, before sin entered into the picture, Adam had no such issue. But the consequences of sin caused other challenges in the earth 
that man have to deal with. And I'm saying to you that many of the challenges that we deal with in this life, you won't have to deal with them. The challenges that you deal with in this life, you don't have to deal with them in the next life because there will be no sin issue and many of the challenges are consequences of sin. Every time we make new discoveries in the word of God about creation, it always reinforces the point that creation was not an afterthought. Creation is actually a manifestation of the God of order. And the creation also speaks to the majesty and splendor of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So everything God created was structured to function by laws, right? Everything on earth has laws that govern their function. And interestingly, there is even a law of sin that governs sin. Romans chapter eight and verse two tells us that the law of the spirit of life so that's one law, the spirit of life, hath made us free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. So there is such a law as the law of sin and the law of death. But the superior law, a law superior to those, is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says the law of the spirit of life has given us victory over the law of sin and death. Now, let's establish the point that sin is rebellion against the law. And when we talk about the law here, we talk about the law of God. And I am not necessarily talking just merely the 10 commandments. The law of God speaks to the commandments of God or the orders of God. So sin is our rebellion against the law of God and sin is also a violation of the law of God. So when you sin, what you actually do is violate the law of God. And for every law that you violate in life, there are consequences. If you're driving down the road and you are driving 90, miles per hour in the 50 mile zone and the police steps out into the road or you know by other means stop you then you know you're in trouble because you broke a law and there's a consequence to breaking the law or there are consequences to breaking the law so breaking any law violating any law attracts consequences. And so it is important. It is very important to do your best to observe the laws of God, because when you break or violate the laws of God, you are attracting trouble to yourself. 
I want to read out of Genesis chapter 3, verse 3. It says, But of the fruit of the tree of which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, when the devil appeared to eat, because that was a conversation between Eve and the serpent. When he appeared to Eve, Eve knew the law and knew that she should not violate the law. Notice what she said. God said, we should not eat of a certain tree. In other words, when God gave that command to Adam and Eve, it was a law. Eve very well knew because she communicated it well to the serpent, knew that it was a law and it should not be violated. She sinned when she violated the law. So just to bring that point across that sin is a violation of the law, we see the beginning of that in Genesis chapter three. Adam sinned and also violated the law. So sin is a violation of the law. Now, generally speaking, the purpose of law is to maintain standards. Laws are for sustaining something or to perpetuate a thing. Laws, as I said, generally, are for maintaining standards. So as I said before, we have the law of sin. There's a law of sin. So the law of sin maintains sin, or the purpose of it is to keep the cycle of sin going. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, is a very important portion of scripture that I want to read to just speak further to, to, to this point. We're saying that laws maintain standards. And so when you have the law of sin, what it does if you operate in that law is that it maintains sin, keeps it going over and over. So First John 3 verse 7, it says, little children, let no man deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. So in other words, to practice something means to repeat it over and over. Keep doing it over and over and over. In other words, what you're doing when you practice righteousness, keep doing it over and over and over, is that you're keeping the law. You're maintaining the law of righteousness. And the Bible says that if you practice or maintain the law of righteousness, then you are righteous, just as God is righteous. Now, it goes on to say in verse 8, he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. He who sins or he who practices sin. 
is of the devil. In other words, it is not suggesting that if there's a slip up and you sin, all of a sudden God cast you out to the devil. It is saying that if you keep the law of sin perpetuating in your life, if you keep maintaining the cycle of sin, then that means the influence and inspiration to do that is coming from the devil. And so what you're technically doing without realizing it is partnering with the devil when you keep the law of sin to maintain sin going. Now, one of the traps that the devil wants to get you into is for you to be governed by the law of sin so that he can keep sin going in your life. So that is why you have to break free and seek deliverance from anything that is not of God, anything that is sin that is continuing in your life, you have to seek deliverance for that because that's exactly where the devil wants to trap you, for you to be governed by the law of sin. In other words, Paul, writing in Romans chapter 7, put it this way. He said, every time I try to do good, or every time I try, try to keep doing good, I find another law working in me, trying to keep me doing evil. In other words, I'm trying to keep the law of righteousness to do what is right before God, but I find another law working in me, trying to get me to do evil, to do the things which are not right. In Romans chapter 7, verse 21, Paul says that. And he's speaking to the, the efforts of the devil, trying to get the cycle of sin to continue operating in his life. The enemy comes after all of us in that way. It might not be the same area of sin, but for some people, it might be pride. For some people, it might be sexual immorality. For some people, it might be lying. For some people, it might be stealing. Some people, it might be anger that gets you in that place from time to time. But whatever it is, one of the traps that the enemy wants to get you in is for you to be governed by the law of sin because the law of sin perpetuates the cycle of sin in your life. Now, we must also understand that certain laws work together. Certain laws feed, flow into each other. So the law of sin enables the law of death. If you sin continuously, it is going to produce death of some kind in your life. It might not necessarily be physical death. Ultimately, it will be physical death. But it could be separation from what God wants you to do in that particular area that compromises the success that you should have in that particular area of your life. So it is important very important that we don't just settle to say that we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity and all of us sin and all that kind of stuff. 
you must resist the temptation to sin because the enemy is trying to trap you in that area. I have another scripture I want us to read. We're going to read James chapter 1. We're going to read verse 14 and 15. But each one is tempted. And you could also use the word deceived here. Each one is tempted or deceived when he is drawn away by his own desires, King James said lust, and enticed, okay? Each one is tempted or deceived when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when lust or the desire as conceived, it bringeth forth sin, right? So when that desire lead you into places that you shouldn't be and you stay there long enough, work with the devil, it conceives and gives birth to sin. And look what happened after it gives birth to sin. Then sin, when it is fulfilled, bring forth death. So it produces sin and then sin bring death. What I'm saying here is that the devil knows exactly what he is doing when he is tempting you. It is not just to make you depressed. Yes, that might be an objective, but the devil have a mission when he's tempting you. And the idea is to get you to sin and to sin again and to sin and to keep that cycle of sin. That's why he tempts you in the same area from time to time. The area that he knows that you're weak, he tries to tempt you in that area because he's trying to get the law of sin working in your life that will perpetuate the cycle of sin. And then what that is going to do when you continue to sin is that as the Bible says, it's going to produce death. Remember? The thief cometh to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He wants to kill you. But he knows that he can't come from certain directions to tempt you. So he comes where he can get you to respond to him. And then the whole idea is to get you to keep sinning and then get that sin to produce death. So before long, you have the law of sin and the law of death working in your life. You have the kingdom of darkness operating in your life that will compromise your ability to progress. Another place that the scripture speaks to this is Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, the wages of sin is death. When you keep sinning and sinning and sinning, what it produces ultimately is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the doctrine of sin is very important to understand because it is not just about the fact that we sin, but you are seeing and understanding that Sin as its objective, and it is not just coming to try and 
make you feel bad for a moment. It is actually coming. The enemy's intention for sin in your life is to cut you off from God, cut you off from the things of God, short circuit your life. So if the law of sin goes unchecked in your life, it is bound to produce death. The good thing about all this is that there is an antidote to sin. There's an antidote for sin and it is called repentance. The Bible says, repent so that your sins can be blotted out when the time of refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord. So even though you might fall for the tricks of the enemy sometime and you might sin, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to allow the cycle of sin to continue. You should respond to the word of God by repentance. Repentance is not about going to God and crying around the issue, but asking him to forgive you of the sin. Because there are people who pray for 15, 20 minutes and still don't repent about the sin. They go to God and tell God, I'm weak, I'm a mere man, and I shouldn't have done this. And oh Lord, that's not what God wants to hear. And that's not what is going to be effective. Simply, Lord, I have sinned before you. I lied about that situation and I am asking you to forgive me. And repentance is not about emotions. So even if you don't feel forgiven when you repent, you are forgiven. You can repent about something and still feel bad about it. And sometimes that's not a bad feeling at all to feel bad about the thing. But you can't afford to allow the devil at the same time to keep you in condemnation. I want to look at six points that bring some definition to sin and help us to examine how we go about our lives in certain areas and ensure that we don't open doors to the enemy. And the first of these is the thought of foolishness. There's a scripture in Proverbs 24 verse nine that we're going to read as it relates to the thought of foolishness. It says, the devising of foolishness is sin or the thought of foolishness is sin and the scoffer is an abomination to men. So the thought of foolishness is sin. When Satan and Adam entertain the thought of being as gods, as how Satan presented it, it was indeed foolishness. And this covetous thought itself was sin. Here comes the enemy to present a case to Adam saying, if you eat from the tree, 
you will be as God. He was really saying, God don't want you to be like him. And would you believe Adam bought into that thought? It was a thought of foolishness. The thought of foolishness is sin, according to Proverbs 24, verse 9. And it is important that we manage our thoughts. The Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And when some thoughts come into your mind, you should immediately pull them down. You should not even entertain them. You should not look at the possibility. You, you don't need to examine them. You just need to pull them down. Number two is transgression of law. Transgression of the law is sin. And we're going to read from 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. It says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. In another version, it says, sin is a transgression of the law. Transgression means to pass across or to go across a forbidden line, right? It means to go across a forbidden line. Adam transgressed God's law because God spoke to him. The command meant to him was that you should not eat of that particular tree. And Adam, or at least, if you eat of it, you're going to die. But the word was clear to Adam, don't eat. And he transgressed the law. He went across the forbidden line. He passed the boundary that he should be and transgressed God's law. And the truth is, none of us can stand and say we have never transgressed the law of God. But again, the antidote for sin is repentance. And there are some things that you cross the line on and the consequences are greater than other things. You know, there are times when you repent and you feel forgiven and you can go on and be confident in your prayers and all of that. There are other times when you repent about something and it just keeps nagging you, especially when you're repenting for the fifth time, for the tenth time about the same thing in a short space of time. So we have to remember that our responsibility is not to transgress the law of God, but to allow the law of God to be active in our lives, because that is what is going to enable us to produce results that would be otherwise impossible. Number three is that all unrighteousness is sin. First John chapter five, verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin. And it says, all unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin 
not leading to death. Unrighteousness or injustice is sin. Adam committed an injustice to God and man by selling himself out to Satan. Because remember, Adam was the president of earth. He was the man that was in charge of earth. By selling himself out to Satan, there was nothing to gain. That was an injustice to himself, an injustice to God, an injustice to the human race. There was absolutely nothing to gain. The consequence was a fall. But he sold himself out to Satan. I want to also make the point here that unrighteousness can only come from people who were righteous, right? Unrighteousness means that the person was righteous, they get the righteousness dirty, and it becomes unrighteousness. The fix for that, again, is First John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whatever angle you take it from, whatever direction you come from, there is a fix for sin in this life. And this is why repentance should be a part of our daily life. God is depending on us. And sometimes the sin comes when we're not conscious of it, in our thoughts, in joking around, in doing things that we were not even conscious of. How many of you have ever done something and you thought it was okay, but when you went to pray or when you were going to bed or you were driving down the road or something, the Holy Spirit convicted you of it. And that was the time that you realized, wow, it dawned on you that was wrong. And you have to repent. So the point is, you can solve that situation of sin if it occurs in your life, if and when it occurs, by repentance. Number four, not doing good knowingly or deliberately is sin. Not doing good knowingly or deliberately is sin. Let me explain. James chapter four, verse 17 says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. Good here have to be defined on the premise of what the kingdom of God regard as being good. Because sometimes we have our own version of being good. The world has its own standard of what is good, which often differs from what God sees as good. So good in the sight of the kingdom of God is according to kingdom laws, is operating according to kingdom law, all right? Satan knew good and did it not. Adam knew good and did it not. Both knew God's law and what would please him, but they didn't do it. So 
if you know to do good and do it not, it is sin. So if the Holy Spirit convicts your heart to do something and you choose not to do it, it is sin. You remember that story with Jonah in the Old Testament? God sent Jonah to Nineveh to warn the people, preach to the people, because a lot of wickedness was happening, taking place in Nineveh. The people were wicked before God. But Jonah, in his Jonah wisdom, thought that those people in Nineveh were too wicked and did not deserve repentance. So he decided that he was not going to go to Nineveh and instead go to Tarshish. Bad idea. Although he saw the wickedness in Nineveh and all of that, if God gives you a mission, that's always the right thing. That's the good thing. You can't choose to do your own thing. We know the story that he almost lost his life on that occasion, and he was spared and sent back to Nineveh to do what was good. And as I said, what was good in, on that occasion and on all occasion in the sight of God is acting according to the kingdom laws. You cannot go wrong acting according to kingdom laws. Number five. Well, number four says not doing good knowingly or deliberately is sin. Number five is doing good according to your standard can be sin. In Isaiah 64 verse six, it says all our righteousness, our righteousness, not God's righteousness, no, all our self-righteousness is as filthy rats. So when man sees his own work as righteous, that means he accepts it as being good. But God is saying that what is good to you might be offensive to me. So the real measure of what is good is not defined by man, but by God. You know, at times, there is a difference between what is good and what is right. Not all the times what is good is necessarily what is right. It might be good in your own eyes, but not right before God. So Saul in the Old Testament, for example, Saul was sent to Amalek to destroy the Amalekites, man, beast, cattle, everything. But Saul thought it would have been good to save the best of the sheep to sacrifice to God. That was good in his eyes. And the king, you know, let's, let's save him. And he did that and he caused the wrath of God. God spoke to Samuel to say, I've rejected Saul because he has not obeyed. And when Saul spoke to Samuel, by the spirit of the Lord, God spoke through Samuel, said obedience, obedience to the law of God. Obedience is better 
than sacrifice. I'm not impressed with you saving what I told you to destroy. You might think the sheep look good in your eyes and is worthy of sacrifice, but the right thing was to kill everything, as I said. We have a, a pastor that gave a testimony one time in our minister's fraternal. And he shared, oh, there's a man that came to the church that he was pastoring to the area and cursed him and you know was very disrespectful, all kinds of language that wasn't pleasant. And he humbled, the pastor humbled himself and just walked away. A few days after that, they called the pastor and told him that this gentleman was in the hospital. So, wow, interesting, because this guy was fit and healthy. No sickness was known off in his body. Pastor thought, man, interesting. God spoke to the pastor's heart and said, that's judgment on his life. The pastor went to the hospital uh, to visit someone and uh, across from the person he was visiting was the same gentleman that cursed him. And he said the guy was calling out to him and the Lord said, don't pray for him, leave him alone. But he, being a good man, pastors are, went over and prayed for the man. He said the moment he prayed for the man, he felt like something just hit him. The guy said he has been living in Montego Bay for over 30 years. His house was about three miles from the hospital. He got out of the hospital, got in his car, and for about a couple of hours, could not find his house, was lost. He had to call someone from his home to come and pick him up. Why? The point I'm making is that he did something that he thought was good, but wasn't right. God said, don't pray for them. Leave him alone. It's the judgment of God on him. But he violated that and prayed for them. I am saying to you that it is important that we don't try to be self-righteous and think that even when God says no, we can represent God in saying yes and get away with doing good according to your own standard might be sin. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. Number six, unbelief is sin. Dr. Mike Murdoch said that God's only passion is to be believed and his only pain is to be doubted. If you will believe, just choose to believe the word of God, it will make such a difference in your life. And sometimes we quote the scripture, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will believe in the name of the Lord Jehovah. But many times people say they don't really believe. They actually 
some of the people quoting it actually believe in the chariots and horses more than they believe in Jehovah. God wants you to begin to believe his word. Unbelief is sin. If God says it and you choose not to believe it, that is a transgression of the law. We're going to read two scriptures. Mark 9, verse 23. And then we're going to read from St. Mark 11, verse 23 and 24. So Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Let's, let's just read that again. Let's read it from verse 21. So he asked his father. This is talking about the epileptic boy. How long has this been happening to him? You know, he threw himself in the fire and all that kind of stuff, this boy. And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He was pleading with Jesus. And Jesus kind of relaxed him and said, listen, all you need to do is to believe. Because if you can believe that I will heal him, all things are possible to them that believe. How many times your miracle has come to your doorstep and because of your unbelief, it went somewhere else. And maybe you in your religious mind thinking, if it is for me, then by all means it has to stay. No, you can chase away your miracle with your unbelief. St. Mark chapter 11, verse 23 and 24. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not, what? Does not doubt in his heart, but Believes, believes, believes. So he's not expressing unbelief. He believes that those things which he says will be done. He will have whatever he say. God is saying, look here. Possibilities exist. Where you've been hearing no for all your life, even though there has been a trend in your life, in your family, concerning certain things, even though it might not look possible, if you believe it is possible. And so I want to encourage you tonight, believe what the word of God says about you. If you dare to believe what the word of God says about you, you will not have so much issues with what people say about you. Because that would be secondary. One of the reasons why people have issues with what other people have to say about them is because they don't believe what the word of God says about them. What They don't believe what God says about them. If you believe what God says about you and you receive that in your life as final, it doesn't matter what other people have to say. You know 
that your possibilities lies in what you believe according to the word of God, what you believe the word of God says about you. You see, belief is the essence of faith. Unbelief will lock down your faith. Jesus went into a certain village and the Bible said, Jesus, Messiah, could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Imagine that. The unbelief of the people shut down God's miracle working hand in their environment. Unbelief is sin. And you have to change it. You can't just say, well, I can't just believe what I don't see. You're talking like Thomas. You are in the sense realm. That is not the word of God. If you dare to believe what the word of God says, irrespective of evidence or evidences, you will see the hand of God in your life. And even more important, we're talking about the doctrine of sin. And if you keep walking in unbelief, it's another angle from which the enemy will trap you in the cycle of sin or get the law of sin working in your life to shut down the possibilities of God in your life. My brothers and sisters, I remind you tonight that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that made us free from the law of sin and death. And who the son set free is free indeed. God bless you. We thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you and have a great day. You may contact us by email at fcfmontegobay at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at fcfmobay and on Facebook at fcfmontegobay.com.